0: Welcome, everyone, to the Sean Steele Law Firm Podcast. Today, we are joined by uh, somebody who uh, holds or held a position that uh, to many of us is, is mysterious, uh, if not uh, nefarious. Um, we uh, we have tried many times to get somebody f- uh, from the defense side, uh, an attorney or an adjuster on the podcast, uh, once actually getting an, an attorney on and, and then having to then take that podcast down after it went live because we got them in a lot of trouble. Uh, and so we're very excited uh, to welcome uh, Kieran Doherty. He is uh, currently of the Simon Law Group, uh, a plaintiff's law firm that I have a lot of respect for and I've done some work with. Um, and uh, formerly of uh, Farmers Insurance, uh, did, uh, did adjusting there and supervising there for a decade, uh, and then uh, did a year on the defense side, on the dark side, uh, before switching to, uh, to the light and joining the ranks of uh, some of the best trial attorneys uh, that I know uh, over at Simon Law Group. Uh, Kieran, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thanks for having me. Good afternoon, everyone. So start us off with a
0: little bit of history. I mean, what what got you into being an adjuster? And then, it, I mean, we only have a half an hour. So jump right in after that to, to sort of what, I mean, what is, what is that like? What's that? What is that like?
1: Yeah, so uh, funny. My mom was an uh, administrative assistant with the Farmers Insurance Property Department. I was out of college. I was working at a physical therapy office. Actually, I worked at a physical therapy office for a couple of years, and I was looking for you know a more career oriented job. And she's like, "Hey, they're hiring adjusters." Like, All right. So I interviewed, uh, got the job, and uh, you know, coming from a physical therapy office kind of helped out. I was working with car accidents and. Uh, You know injuries, and I kind of had a background in understanding what was going on. So I was an adjuster, and then uh, one day I just kind of was over the corporate thing, um, and I just said, "I'm going to sign up for the LSAT." Signed up for the LSAT, went to school at night, became an attorney, and uh, it's kind of been the rest from there. (laughs) (laughs) Just ended up over here.
0: That's spectacular. So when you so when you became an adjuster, what what? uh, So you're doing
1: auto cases, right? Yeah, auto, auto, and then homeowners slip and fall stuff. But the majority of stuff dog bites. Majority uh, auto cases.
0: All right. So we got a bunch of chiropractors on the on the uh, on the call today, and there's going to be plenty more listening once this goes live. Let's jump into what what were you looking for when it came to chiropractic records? Was, was let's start with even before that. Was there any sort of prejudice? I mean, was there any sort of if a if a plaintiff if a prospective you know plaintiff had a or claimant had a chiropractor or saw or treated by a chiropractor did that change anything just that piece of information alone
1: I, I don't think so necessarily only because the majority of cases with auto collisions you are seeing a chiropractor involvement right that's kind of the first line of treatment that you would see you know pain i have you know injuries my neck, my back hurts that's typically one of the first lines of treatment so not necessarily um, I would say as a whole that adjusters are skeptical of everything. Uh, it's kind of drilled into you by the insurance companies, but I don't think chiropractor involvement just by itself was any kind of indicator of anything nefarious or kind of uh, highlighted or anything like that. Well, that's
0: great news. Cause I know that there are definitely chiropractors listening right now. Uh, and myself included a little bit who, who get the sense sometimes that just simply the fact that a chiropractor was on a case, um, can be a strike against it. So I'm glad to hear that that wasn't the case, at least for you.
1: I think, to be honest with you, adjusters are going to question no matter what kind of provider is involved, no matter who is involved. You know, I'm sure, you know, orthopedic doctors are saying the same thing. So it's really just a question everything. So great.
0: And okay, so good. So that's a good jumping off point. So from there, now you you, you get a, a set of chiropractors records in what are you looking for? What do you keep an eye out for? What, you know, what What are the red flags? Talk me through that.
1: Yeah, I guess I think a good way, let me kind of explain the process, what happens, right? When you get in, so for example, on the plaintiff side, we'll send in the records along with whatever records we have and the bills, right? And on the carrier side, there's actually a large software company that's kind of been buying up all the smaller claims provider softwares. And a lot of the carriers are using them now. Um, I know people on this call maybe have heard of Colossus, which is like a dinosaur. It doesn't exist anymore, right? It's old. They, get, they learn their lesson. But this is a program similar in IDEA, at least, as Colossus. So the medical bills and records come in, and they're sent out to be transcribed, okay? It goes to this program, and someone on that side transcribes them. From there, there's there's a couple different programs at play that are all integrated together. So the first one, it looks at the bills and it's gonna sound a little crazy, but it takes automatic adjustments on them. Uh, and there's certain things that are automatic adjustments. For example, if there's hot packs billed after four weeks, uh, then it depends, each carrier is slightly different on what their automatic adjustments are, but f- hot packs after four weeks, they're cutting them, right? um some things it doesn't take an automatic adjustment on it'll be a flag and they'll say listen you need to address this you need to you know say it and one of the examples of that is uh hot packs after two weeks right they'll look at it and they'll say all right with the flag you can allow it but you gotta address it um other things that might be a flag would be like they'll look at like oh you to treat it back-to-back days i know i'm sure everyone's heard that uh treatment after 12 or 16 weeks things you know things that you hear the arguments they make that end of the day don't hold water but they're still going to be made um and then so once it's transcribed those are automatic that's the adjuster's not touching this the adjuster's not looking that's just done right that the adjuster looks at it, pull up from there the adjuster goes through and they look through and they say all right uh based on what i've been trained on by this carrier i'm going to make adjustments for what they say you know the cost you know reasonable reasonable cost um and they look at it and it's the program will you know to actually take automatic adjustments on what they have as the, you know, the benchmark, what they feel like the cost should be. And the adjuster is supposed to go through and verify that that's correct and that it's not paying too much or too little, but a lot of these adjusters have way too many cases to actually be able to handle them, you know, in a way that they would like to. So they kind of just take what the program says as, as gospel. So it makes cuts Um, from there right now that's the billing. And there's also a tool they use for generating general damages, so pain and suffering, okay? And the interesting thing about this is, the way it works is, it actually takes the ICD-9 codes from the bills, all right? Not the records. So if there's no ICD-9 code on the bill, or ICD-10 on the bills, apologies, it it won't pull it automatically and the adjuster will have to manually put it in. But if ICD-10 is on the bills, it pulls that automatically from the bills and brings them into this general damages program. Right. Um, so kind of on that, one of the things, you know, listen, if you have, you know, if you're listing 50 ICD 10 suggested, like, all right, all these aren't related. I'm going to have to go through and cut some of them, but if it's appropriately listed and it, you know, it, it applies and it's uh, corresponds with the injuries it makes it a little easier because it pulls them automatically and they'll give general damages based on that. It takes a lot of the, thinking and the thought process, if like the adjuster's is not gonna forget, oh, I forgot to add that because it's already there. But it's a little it, weird that it takes it from the bills rather than the records. So you're saying maybe as a tip that if you,
0: as a chiropractor, don't put your ICD-10 codes in your bill, but just have them in the records, that it's maybe a good idea in your PI cases to start putting them in the bill because that's where these these Colossus style programs often are yanking that information for pain and suffering.
1: hundred percent. And I think just making sure, you know, be thoughtful on which ones you're putting in there. Make sure they, they apply, and right. you know it makes makes it easier for the adjuster not to miss anything. Sure. So so they so they
0: put in. I mean, you know, we sort of understand this conceptually because we get offers, and I'm sure chiropractors have heard of this. Where we'll, we'll get an offer in, an you know, opening offer on the case is we're extending eighteen thousand four hundred and forty-two dollars and nineteen cents. And you're like, yeah, a human being didn't come up with that number. A computer did, obviously. A program came up with that. That's a, com- that's, a, that's a calculation that a computer came up with. And it sounds like what's happening is they're adjusting the bills. There's maybe some room for an adjuster to intervene on in some places, but oftentimes maybe they're not even intervening anywhere. They're just taking whatever number is spit out by the bills plus the, uh, plus the pain and suffering calculation, and that's the number they send to me.
1: And that's exactly correct. Um, And yeah, those weird numbers sometimes because they'll say, oh, the reasonable cost of this is $163.47. Like, okay, it's really specific, but all right. Um, And then also just so these programs, you know, everything nowadays is big data, right? You can run so many reports and there's so much data available on this. Um, So for example, on the adjuster level, and this is kind of things the adjusters are looking at, one of the big reports they run is Bills submitted versus bills accepted, right? And so you can look at, hey, adjuster X has an average of 13,000 in bills submitted and they typically allow 11,000, but adjuster Y has an average of 13,000 and allows 11,800. What are they doing, right? And so the adjuster is always, you know, a little concerned about, I guess, even if you build, I would say if you build perfectly, exactly according to what the carrier trains is perfect billing and perfect, the adjuster is still probably going to take some cuts because they are just so trained and so drilled that if the bills come in, they need to be cut. Um, Which is kind of frustrating, right? Because even if you're doing exactly what was said to be done, you're still going to end up with some bills cut, which kind of leads to, you know.
0: And it creates a weird incentive to like overbill, which of course nobody wants to do and, and nobody on this call I think is inclined to do, but it creates that incentive when, when you're going to cut, I mean, when you're sort of acknowledging that, hey, my uh, on the adjuster side, I'm going to be cutting bills even if they're billed textbook, just because my job I'm graded based on how well I cut bills.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I think that the uh, there might be some on the carrier side some objection to that language, I, I, but realistically, that that's what it breaks down to, right? I mean, the 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 thought on there is, well, no. We then look at it holistically, and we see that oh, maybe it was appropriate that you are allowing a little more. But realistically, with so many cases, it's really hard to you know go into each case individually and see okay, maybe this adjuster is allowing a little more and it's appropriate. So it does kind of work out that if you're allowing more bills than everyone else in your office or your you know your region, then they're going to look into it and think oh why.
0: So in oh, yeah. terms of allowed bills, is that just a computer designation where they they just click I'm not allowing this or I am allowing this or I'm allowing reducing this? Because then it seems like sometimes I'll talk to an adjuster and they'll tell me you know I you know you have eleven thousand dollars in meds I'm only accepting sixty five hundred dollars and so based on that sixty five hundred dollars I'm extending an offer of ten grand and I'm like okay well my meds are eleven change so I'm not going to take your ten grand obviously but then through negotiation, whatever else, we end up at a settlement of, let's say, $20,000, which is, you know, double the MEDs, double my MEDs, not double their reduced MEDs. So then I then I wonder in those situations, well, okay, so what, why did I care or why should anyone care what their reduced MEDs are, what MEDs they're accepting, when the settlement value sometimes doesn't seem to be based on that at all?
1: I mean, I wouldn't, I would pay no attention to what they're accepting or they're claiming to accept. The settlement value is the settlement value, you right. know? They're going to make their arguments all day. Um, but at the end of the day, i just, okay, that's fine. Right. <laughs> don't care. I don't agree with you, but sure. Um, right. William,
0: and as an attorney, right, and this may be less relevant for the chiropractor, but as an attorney, I, obviously that's how I practice, but I just, I just sort of have always wondered on the defense side, I am on the adjuster side, you know, okay, great. You reduced my bills by, I mean, reduce them down to zero for all I can, <laughs> like, whatever you're accepting or rejecting in your own mind, so long as it doesn't affect my settlement value, <laughs>
1: Fully agree, um, 100%. And just like so, you know, just how easy it is. Like imagine a, you know, an Excel, Excel spreadsheet in front of you, right? This is kind of the way the program works. It looks similar. And for each visit, it has, you know, each CPT code, right? Broken down. So there's four CPT codes for visit. And next to it, it has the charge, you know, the, the amount billed. And then next to it, it has they use, you know, the benchmark, and it'll say benchmark 80, benchmark 50. I think they are using 80 right now and it'll, it'll automatically put that number in. And sometimes it messes up and the adjuster is supposed to fix it. Like, oh, you know, it's allowing too little. I should increase it, which is almost never gonna happen or it's allowing too much, I should reduce it. But for the most part, I would say, um, especially on when I say like smaller cases, cases under 75,000, the adjuster is probably just running with it, whatever it says, whatever the program says. So technically they do have their own authority and they're supposed to review what this program is saying, but realistically, with how many cases they have it's really just not feasible to go in depth on every single case.
0: And I know that and also it's, there seems to be some adjusters that care quite a bit about you know and, and they'll when I talk to them they're telling me things about oh well in this record in this soap note it says this you know like wow you actually seem to have read them uh, as opposed to some adjusters who don't seem to have any idea uh, what's going on in a case other than the build meds or this, I'm accepting this and here's what I'm offering you. It's like, okay, well call me when you know something else.
1: And I think that kind of leads to another good point. you're saying um, there's very few adjusters that are going to go through the soap notes um, just because of how much time it takes. Right. You know, and we have some cases, which is why if you have a concise, you know, there's a concise report that lays everything out concisely um, that's specific to that patient clearly, uh that that helps that makes a big difference just because it's easy to get the information right it's just boom it's there it's there it's there it's there it lays everything out makes it a little easier um rather than either you know trying to search through the soap notes and piece together the puzzle or the report is just clearly just you know a a template filled in um where it's not for that individual patient doesn't really give a lot of information so that that also helps uh a summary, and there's something really easy for the adjuster to grab onto and be like, oh, perfect. I know what's going on here. It's all right there. Done.
0: That's super helpful. So in terms of red flags, I mean, let's say it was a bigger case and you really were going to delve into the records. Um, and I'm sure you were the adjuster exception that did that. Uh, what... Um, in terms of chiropractic records, I mean, what are the red flags? I mean, what are the types of, other than obviously, you know, like you were saying, red, you know, ice, uh, hot packs after four weeks or something like that. But like, what are the things that you're looking for? Not a program spotted, but like you spotted that made you say, "I think we need to ask this," you know, to get deposed this chiropractor. I think we need to take a harder look at this chiropractor's billing or their records. I and mean, what what are the red flags that you're seeing? Um, I don't
1: know. necessarily a red flag but like. If, if like I said these reports, right? If like, this is clearly just like a generic report where this you know maybe this person's seeing a ton of people and just not caring about their patients. maybe you know it tells me eh, maybe they're not as as on top of their patient care. Um, or sometimes you see like some sometimes the billing is just like500 dollars a visit, right? It's like, all right, like everyone else is in a reasonable range. That's what's going on there it's a being uh, kind of a liar. Yeah. And obviously there's certain situations that might call for, it, but you know, when you're, you are out there, it sticks out and there might be a reason for it, but sometimes there's not as far as like deposing chiropractors. And honestly, I think the re- the reason that a lot of or defense counsel likes to do it is because typically, you know, I think a lot of chiropractors want to focus, understanding understanding their patients and, are maybe not as well versed in the litigation world and kind of the legal standards for, for example, a reasonable degree of medical probability, things like that. And the defense kind of comes in and bull in a China shop and tries to bully chiropractors around because they're not getting deposed as so much, you know, the ortho, ortho doctors that we're using, they're getting deposed two, three times a week. They know, they understand, they have a, the legal background not a lawyer or anything. They understand the legal, you know, require the language and things yep. like that. Um, I think when a defense attorney is, I'm going to depose a chiropractor. Their goal is, you know, what their goal is in general in the case, to sow confusion, right? To kind of, oh, well, the pain level was six out of ten here and five out of ten there. Like, what happened? That's inconsistent, and it's really just trying to trick and sow confusion.
0: Um, well, like, I, I've I've had I've had instances where a plaintiff in their deposition will say something to the effect of, oh, yeah, the chiropractor told me not to worry. Uh, because when the when the case settles, they'll work with me with on the bill. You know, they'll they'll t- they'll help me out with the bill, and then immediately, depot notice for a chiropractor. Um, you know, I mean that sort of stuff, those sort of unforced errors. Uh, we were talking beforehand about uh, chiropractors who report that they're billing. You know, they're they're seeing patients on Saturdays. Um, you know, oh, yeah,
1: you're saying the, so the judges will call you they'll call your office pretend to be a patient and be like hey i want to get an appointment on a saturday you guys open on saturday no well i have four bills for, you know sometimes we'll see like you have these bills on saturday for a bunch of saturdays and they just called your office and your office told them they we're open on saturdays or hey i want to come in like you know i hurt my back you know just running like, what's it going to cost me for this type of treatment and they'll, they'll ask them like what's it going to cost me to get you know, like last time I went to the chiropractor, they, you know, they did some hot packs. They put those like tingly things on me. And then the the chiropractor like pushed on me, like how much is it going to cost me for that? And they'll tell them, and that doesn't match up with the bill that they have. And then they'll be like, well, I just called your office and it's a lot different. And so I've never had an
0: adjustment, an adjuster tell me that they've done that, but it's, you're, you're, you're describing something in quite a bit of detail (laughs) that apparently is happening out there in the world uh which which if i were a chiropractor would be alarming uh just to make sure that that everything is copacetic now i think this brings up a a topic that a lot of chiropractors have asked me about particularly and so i want to i want to ask you both in your capacity as a short while as a defense attorney but also as an adjuster and that's cash discounts um you know, because if you call a chiropractor's office and you say how much for an adjustment and they say, I, you know, 60 bucks, and then you see a PI case where they're charging, you know, 120 for an adjustment, that may be the product of a cash discount. And mm-hmm. so the question becomes, well, what's a reasonable cash discount? In what circumstances are, are they permissible? I mean, where, where I understand the ethics behind it, but like from the, from the adjuster and the defense attorney standpoint, where, where do you guys come down on that?
1: I mean, the adjuster and the defense attorney are just going to harp on that and bang on it as a, as a. Oh. Karen. Karen, do we lose you or do we lose me? Which one of us is frozen? I'm getting the sense that it's him is it him yeah
0: so i'm told that so karen is frozen hopefully he can uh yes yeah. yes uh allison yeah she he is he is frozen and uh now he's coming back he's back
1: Man, I, I lost you for a second. You got me back now? My computer froze on us. All right, I'm on my phone now, so we can finish it up this way. I apologize. That's
0: okay. I'm glad that uh, you were able to hop back in so quickly. So what So what were you saying?
1: So I was saying that, you know, the defense and the adjuster are going to harp on it, and they're going to say, listen, they're only in it for money. But, like, they're charging their cash patients this. If they get insurance, it's this. And they're charging this. They're in it. They're they're overtreating. They're, you know, at the end of the day, we know it's not true. We understand the realities. Um, if 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 I had my choice as a plaintiff attorney, you know, if the cash price was the same as the lien price, that's the easiest way. But at the end of the day, it's not going to kill a case, right? It's not going to make a huge deal. In litigation, juries understand. I'm not too concerned about it. Like I said, perfect world is the same price, but...
0: But I mean, they're, they're, the, I feel like the law and certainly the ethics requirements for chiropractors allow for a cash discount, which makes sense to me from a business standpoint, because the chiropractor is being forced to stick their neck out on a lien, defer billing by years sometimes, and then, let's face it, in a lot of instances, get cut to hell by a greedy PI attorney. So, you know, because of all of that, there, there is, there, I, I, I believe that it is settled that some amount of cash discount is, is permissible. The question is, at what point does it cross over? And I'm sure there's no real answer. It's not like, oh, 1.5 times the cash, or, You know, it's not like that. But I'm, I'm guessing if you were to call them and ask what the cash price was and they said 50 bucks a visit, and then you're looking at billing for over $200 a visit, you're like, that's not a reasonable cash discount. So it, it, maybe it has to pass the smell test in terms of, yeah, all right, so maybe, you know, you bill uh, $75 a visit cash and it's $100 a visit on lien. It's like, well, it's only $25 extra that you're charging. It's not the end of, the like, maybe a smell test sort of thing is what it sounds like.
1: Yeah, I think that's a completely fair way of putting it. Honestly, I think you described it pretty well. Um, and like I said, here's the thing. Like, a lot, these, a lot of these arguments adjusters and defense counsels are making, they know they're not good arguments, Right they know they're, they're not good, but they're trying to force us as plaintiff attorneys to take lesser settlements than the case is worth. Um, and, and I think, like I said, I think a reasonable cash discount, they're not going to be able to harp on that, right? I think it's like where you said, we're like, hey, if I come in cash, it's $40. And if I, now I have a lien and it's $280, that they're going to be able to, you know, the jury more so, like they're going to know like, hey, if this goes to trial, we can use that to create a doubt in the jury's mind. So
0: we're down the last five minutes and I want I want to see if you have any tips on on things they could do that, that they, they do well that is, that helps a PI case. So it, maybe any any anecdotal stories or, or just tips that a, you know, a, a conscientious chiropractor right one that's doing PI and doing their best, trying to aid their patient both to get better. Uh, and you know heal, but also to to make sure that they are documenting their injuries in the in the way that is likely to yield the the greatest return. <laughs> uh, what I mean, what what would you recommend? I mean, what what kinds of tips or tricks or 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 just advice would you give?
1: Well, I think there's kind of two separate parts. There. So the first part is on the litigation aspect. Of our, and I'll little we'll story here. We had a case, and defense counsel was actually. Uh, they're like, we're going to depose. You know, it was actually a PT, but similar PT car. And they're like, we're going to depose them. You know, they're going to try and create this, uh, this confusion. And try, they, don't, they don't know. They're don't, they don't, they not deposed off. And we didn't even list them for us. And our expert team does not, not retain. We didn't list them, but they did. And they deposed them via video. And this person clearly knew what they were doing. And they just killed it. They knocked it out of the park, right? And defense tried to get their, their testimony excluded because how good it was. So if you understand kind of what the defense is trying to do in these depositions, right, and you understand that they're trying to confuse you and you can just tell the truth and explain, you know, how you treat your patient keep it consistent, that's huge for us, right, knowing we have them in the background. Um, but that being said, most of the cases don't go to litigation. They don't make it that far. Um, so I think a concise and just clear report that just lays everything out, it doesn't have to be long, right? I, let see like a 15 page report. I'm not going to, you know, the adjuster's not going to have time to read all that, but a nice, clear, concise, just lays out the issues. Um, and then I think, like I said, just that little tip about putting the ICD-10s on your billing, just so it's easier for the uh, software to pick it up and bring it over to the general damage section. Obviously, that doesn't affect the bills that they're accepting, but it affects the settlement, which kind of makes it easier for everyone to get paid at the end of the day.
0: I mean, so we, and that's great. I mean, we we, we commonly tell chiropractors about smart referrals, Right alerting both the attorney and the patient to the to the to this potential assistance of of referrals of referral docs um you know sometimes not sometimes oftentimes the chiropractor is the one that highlights for us hey you know that i think there's a psych component to this that maybe is latent but i'm seeing it when they're coming in they're talking to me a lot about how they haven't driven since the accident oh i didn't know that they didn't mention that to me or you know I, I i mean i i there i there are many many times that chiropractors have called me and tipped me off to either hey i think i want you know i would like to refer this patient out to this kind of subspecialty or you know, here's something I'm noticing, or I have noticed in, in my, in the, you know, my interactions with the patient, or they mentioned this to me about, you know, their treatment. Hey, I, you know, they said, Oh, Hey, I'm, I'm seeing a, whatever kind of doctor, but I haven't told my attorney about it yet. I mean, like I've heard all kinds of that stuff from chiropractors. So making smart referrals and also just having that communication level with the attorney uh, and working with attorneys that will take your phone call, Um, but, but I mean, that sort of stuff, at least from my perspective on the plaintiff side is crucially important to aiding in the, in the increasing of value, uh, which obviously increases the likelihood that a chiropractor is going to get their bill paid in the end.
1: Yeah. And I think just making sure that your client, you know, the patient gets the right treatment, the right care, the I mean, realistically, out of all the people who are going to be involved in the treatment, you know, that chiropractors are the front line. They're the ones who are seeing them multiple times per week for a long period of time and, you know, I worked, like I said, I worked in a physical therapy office for a couple of years, and there's a lot of talk going back and forth. And it's not always about your injuries and treatment, but you, you learn a lot about people. And, you know, even more than the attorneys, they're not going to talk to them as much. So you learn a lot about them. You can learn a lot about their injuries. And you can make sure they get the treatment they need and require. Um, that helps out, obviously, the value of the case. But more importantly, it helps out the person you're treating. So I think that's huge.
0: Totally agree. Um, I totally agree. Any uh, any any parting uh, thoughts for this this group of chiropractors? I I, I want to thank you for for agreeing to do this and for coming on, uh, and and sharing some some inside secrets from the other side with us. Um, you know, I I I think this group of chiropractors, and particularly more and more in California, we're seeing chiropractors wanting to learn how. The whole picture works, right? Not just their little piece to the puzzle, but that's what the whole, you know, ethos of this podcast is: is how how to, you know, how how does my piece fit within the bigger scheme of PI, and how can I better practice within a PI sphere? How can I do better by my patients, by the attorneys that that I work with, by you know, by myself? Obviously, they're in this to make money, just like everybody else is. Um, so, just I, I, I thank you for doing this, but I wonder if there's any last-minute uh, tips or parting words you have.
1: I mean, honestly, keep learning. I love that. I think uh, anyone who's on or kind of continuing to learn and continue in their education, like that's, that's awesome. And um, like you said, the more you know about kind of what happens down the road, you know, most cases don't go to trial or don't get to the point where even where anyone's getting deposed, but if you understand what happens, when that does happen, it'll help you just in your practice kind of every day.
0: Perfectly said. Perfectly summed up. I summed up. I appreciate that a lot uh karen thank you for being with us thank you for sharing your wisdom with everybody um uh, if if anybody has a question uh that they want to send to you, do you would you mind if it came through me and i and i forwarded it yeah on? yeah
1: feel free send send me whatever I'll, uh, reach out anytime and uh, appreciate you having me apologies for the the tech uh, tech issue but we sorted it out we got multiple different things going on
0: absolutely this is live theater right so it's uh it's it's gonna happen live but i appreciate you so much for being on this is uh uh, Karen Doherty with Simon Law Group, uh, Alexander Eisen, Sean Steele Law Firm podcast. This podcast will be available on iTunes and wherever else uh, you get your podcast. It will also be available on YouTube uh, shortly. Thank you, everybody, for listening and good afternoon. Thanks, Thanks Alexander. Take care, man.